0: Tony Speaks, and this is my lovely wife, Kim. We are the founders and co creators of the lifestyle brand and podcast, Becoming Disciplined. Every week we meet, learn from, and share best practices with highly disciplined men and women from a variety of fields and endeavors.
1: Follow us on our journey.
0: Alex Richter has been studying martial arts since the age of eight. By the age of 15, he already earned a black belt in Taekwondo and was completely obsessed with Bruce Lee. During his late teen years, he began training in Wing Chun. By age 20, Wing Chun had become his life's passion. His dedication to this art has made him one of the most high profile instructors in North America. Sifu Alex's attention to detail, coupled with his intense knowledge of Chinese culture, has put him into his own category. In recent years, Alex has graced the cover of Wing Chun's Illustrated and has been featured in major martial art publications internationally. Outside of the martial arts press, he has been featured in Harper's Bazaar, USA Today, The Discovery Channel, and PBS. Recently, Vice Magazine did an entire feature of Sifu Alex's life and school in New York City. But most importantly, this week, Sifu Alex Richter is it's becoming discipline. He is
1: unstoppable, unbeatable, unbelievable. He's Alex Rector, Kung Fu genius. And every day, I practice martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: on Becoming Disciplined. We interview Sifu Alex Richter, the Kung Fu Genius. Sifu Alex, welcome to Becoming Disciplined. We are so
1: honored to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm excited about this.
0: Well, Sifu Alex, before you educate us and share your current story, I think it's good for my audience to be aware of your context. Every superhero has an origin story. Now, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like?
1: So I I grew up in New Jersey. So I'm kind of an East Coast guy, very much like Daniel LaRusso from The Karate Kid. Uh, so, and I have a very similar story. So I actually got uh, bullied by a neighbor, and he knocked out one of my teeth. We were fighting over a toy or something like that. And I was so upset because I couldn't do anything. I basically asked my mom to sign me up for karate classes, and I started taking it. I got super obsessed with martial arts. And I uh, actually went back and defended myself against that bully, and he ended up joining the karate school, and we ended up training together. So that's, I guess, for lack of a better story, that's kind of my origin story with
0: martial arts. Oh, that is that is too cool. Both you and Joe Rogan from Jerseys, you know, martial <laughs> Now, uh, when you were a child, was there someone who inspired you with their level of discipline? I would assume your, your, your teacher, your sifu, or anyone else? Yeah, so I uh, I was lucky to have a lot of really
1: great mentors when I was growing up. So, um my uh in my karate school there were there were really no other kids there. This back in the in the 80s, it's not like today they have kids martial art classes. Back then it's like you trained with adults that's how you did it. And so uh they, they didn't uh cater especially to kids. So, you know, I was expected to behave like other adults in the class and so uh, you know, had to be quiet, had to be respectful, and there wasn't a bunch of kids there. So I learned pretty quickly from a lot of the seniors in the martial arts school, like, yeah, this is you have to you have to be disciplined and act like an adult when you're in the martial arts school, and uh, that probably was more of a community influence on me from that school.
0: okay, now, I know you fell in love when you fought the bully, but was there another time where you fell in love with martial arts, or was that it or or was there another? level of love that you fell into at a later time yeah that's a great question
1: uh so the the bully thing it's like i just wanted to start learning karate so i could defend myself it wasn't because of a great uh love for martial arts but shortly after i started learning karate i was sick home from school one day and my dad brought home this movie called enter the dragon and so that is Maybe not the most appropriate movie for an (laughs) eight-year-old, but he put that movie in there and I saw Bruce Lee for the first time. And that was the moment where I was like, this is really something I want to do. I mean, uh, if, if Bruce Lee really made me... It's really like because I could see the potential of what a human is capable of of becoming through hard work and training and um so really it was Bruce Lee for me at a very early
0: age amen amen well Jim Kelly was really really cool in that in that movie as well absolutely, absolutely, and he almost didn't get that role. It was originally supposed to go to
1: Rockney Tarkington, and that guy decided at the last minute not to take it, and Jim Kelly was the last replacement but you couldn't even imagine Enter the Dragon without Jim Kelly.
0: No. I wish they had given him they had given him a better death though. I wish his death would have been a little more fantastic than that. But you know.
1: And and not to not to go too much into the movie stuff, I would have preferred the finale of Bruce Lee and Jim Kelly and in, in that end fight scene rather than John Saxon. If you imagine Jim Kelly and Bolo would have been a way better movie, would have been a way better fight.
0: That's awesome. That is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. Now let's time we time travel on this podcast. Let's time travel, you know, because we want to be of a, a value to our listeners. We want our listeners to get something where they can feel like have, their lives have been changed. So let's time travel to your first martial arts class. Now you can you can only jump out of the space-time continuum for only one minute and you can speak <laughs> you can speak to young Alex Richter and you can only say one sentence of 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 sage wit wise advice. What advice do you give? To that 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 martial arts student on that first class. Wow, that's a
1: that's a pretty loaded question. I never really thought of that. That's really really interesting. Um, let me see. I probably uh, would tell myself. Um, hmm, well, it's interesting because I look back at my path and I go, I was pretty lucky with my path. What? Um, What could I have told myself not to be disappointed when some of the people that you really look up to in the martial arts maybe don't end up being uh, that person that you had imagined in their head because they still might have something of value to teach them and just be super mindful uh, not to kind of put anyone on a pedestal, but rather learn from their examples rather than putting them as an entity on a pedestal so that that would save me a little bit of heartache down the line. Amen.
0: I can, I, uh, I'm actually a minister within, you know, within a church organization. And, uh, I can say you learn from your, your mentors, both what to do and what not to do. And uh, that comes with a lot of heartache as well. Sure. So, uh, I am not, I, I listen to your show for a different reason and I'll tell you why later. But I am not a martial arts enthusiast. You know I am, but I'm not. You know uh, I'm. I'm not a. I don't consider myself a real martial arts enthusiast. So I got my. I, I called my buddy, who is a. Uh, he's a black belt, and he said, uh, Mantis style. Okay. Okay. Uh, so so because I wanted to get like at least three wise martial arts questions because I'm not a martial arts person myself, and he says he asked me what makes Wing Chun different to other Southern Kung Fu styles? That was one question he, he thought would be a decent question to ask. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, Wing Chun is, uh, yeah, as you
1: mentioned, it's a Southern Chinese martial arts style and it actually has a lot of the characteristics of all the Southern styles. Like they all have a kind of a DNA stamp where you can tell by looking at certain things, okay, this is a Southern style. One of the things that maybe makes Wing Chun a little bit different from the other Southern styles is that uh, it doesn't emphasize super deep stances. Some of the other Southern styles have lots super deep stances, but lower stances. Wing Chun has a slightly upright stance and emphasizes moving a little bit differently with the footwork than some of the other ones, because supposedly it has some influence from Western Chinese martial arts styles. So, uh, the hand techniques look very similar to a lot of the other southern styles, but the footwork is very unique in terms of how we move and how we stay close to our opponent.
0: Okay. Now, what, uh, what are other branches of Wing Chun and how, how different are they from the mainstream Yip Man system? Uh, Well,
1: even just within the Yip Man system, you want to know how many different versions there are? There are as many different versions as there are people teaching Wing Chun. Because truthfully, this is something you have across all disciplines. It's very rare to say that someone teaches something exactly the way their teacher did it. Because our own personal experience, our own influences, our own ideas are gonna influence how we pass that on to the next generation, which is already gonna make it a little bit different. So uh, I always kind of jokingly say, say that there's as many different versions and variations and lines of Wing Chun as there are people teaching it. So uh, even within the Ip Man line, There's a lot of differences, but outside of the Yip Man line in mainland China, you have other uh, lineages that uh, predate Yip Man and ones that maybe are offshoots of what he did. So lots of different Wing Chun styles, obviously mostly concentrated in the south. Yip Man, uh, the Yip Man lineage is perhaps the most famous of all of them, obviously, because Bruce Lee was um, his most famous student. And and so Yip Man Wing Chun tends to get a little bit more of the airtime compared to some of the other more obscure versions.
0: Okay. Now, if Wing Chun was found to be illegal across the planet and you could not practice Wing Chun anymore, what would be your next martial art? Uh, wow!
1: Um, <laughs> wow, well, you're really coming with the tough ones today. Uh, it's difficult because you know in my life, like Wing Chun is so inextricably linked to my being. It's like okay, you separate this thing, like pulling part of my DNA out, right? Well, I I really like um I really like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I find there are a lot of parallels to Wing Chun, at least the way I understand Wing Chun. Um, it's one thing about jujitsu, it's pretty rough on the body to practice, especially as uh, you get older like me. Um, but I am, I'm, I'm pretty fascinated with it as well. And, and I think that would probably be a, uh, that would probably be my second.
0: Okay. Now let me ask you a cliche, uh, question that's bound to ignore you, uh, uh, to annoy you, excuse me. Um, No problem. You know, and the reason why—that's the purpose of the question. You know, there's a lot of middle-aged men who are trying to make the decision. Hey, do I wanna? Do I wanna take up the martial arts? Do I wanna risk the injury? Do I want to get involved? So I guess, and then one question that may you know bounce around in their mind is, how often, Sifu, have you used your martial arts outside of training? How often it has it come to you know how how many times have you had to actually? You know, pull forth all the training, and you know, in a real world situation. Uh, that's a great question. Um, obviously, when you
1: practice martial arts, martial arts have such a, a a kind of universal effect over the way you handle situations, even like little. Arguments you might have with people, or the way you just deal with conflict, because really, martial arts is about learning how to deal one with yourself, and two, then learning how to use that to deal with conflict in all of its forms. So, you can say that if you really understand your martial art and you use it all the time, even if you're not physically defending yourself against someone, you use it in your interactions, maybe sometimes with your spouse or something, right? Uh, And you know, you got to learn when to yield and when to go forward and how to do it in a way that's intelligent. In terms of like, okay, somebody wants to fight me for whatever reason and i need to defend myself the last time i actually had to physically defend myself was the day obama was first elected it was on election day so i guess that makes it 2007 or 2008 i think 2008 i think and i was actually mugged almost at midnight right in midtown manhattan in one of the nicest parts of midtown manhattan you would have never thought uh, i was I was going home kind of late at night. I was on um the phone with one of my assistants i don't remember why I was coming home so late, but it was kind of my fault in that moment i wasn't being super aware. I was on my phone I was just kind of walking down the street. It was a little dark, and two guys kind of jumped me from behind a car and they wanted to get my wallet uh, i was at first handed it over, but then they wanted my bag with my computer and I was like. Yeah, I don't know about that, because this was in days before the cloud. Literally, my whole life was on that computer. And um, I made a decision, and I wouldn't recommend other people to make that same decision. I mean, if someone wants your computer, you give it to them. But I made a decision because I thought, okay, I can do something really quick, and I can not hand this over. And uh, in hindsight, it worked. So it, you know, it worked out in my favor, but I, I would tell people in the same situation not to do what I did. And so, yeah, I successfully essentially hit both those guys at the same time, uh, which is not, not something I had ever practiced. It was just an on-the-fly on the, f- on the fly adaptation. I hit them both. I grabbed my stuff and I ran. And that was the last time I had to, like, really use it. Now, the number of times, you know, I'm a pretty peace-loving guy. Uh, I do not really get in street fights uh, when I was a teenager. You know, you you get in these things with your buddies or whatever, and... Uh, I don't know how much that counts for anything. And, you know, sometimes at the school, we had some people come and, you know, they want to kind of try you out, but I don't count those things as fights. Maybe other people might count those things as fights. So, um, luckily I think practicing martial arts has helped me avoid more fights
0: than it's, than it's helped me get into. Awesome. 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 That is, that is great to know. Now, as I said before, I'm not a true martial arts aficionado. But I still love your show. And the question is why? Because I view you as not just an ambassador to Kung Fu, but I also, I feel like when I when I listen to your show a lot of times, I feel like I've traveled to Hong Kong. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like I've, I've traveled into a world that I know nothing about. And, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, with what you mentioned in the show recently, the Dunning Kruger effect. You know, there's a lot of people who feel like they know more than what there's. You know, what they really know. And I love listening to your show because I feel like it's a trip into another culture, both into kung fu, and then sometimes you take us into Hong Kong as well. You know, so it's a great trip. Now, being someone who is so well versed in 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 Chinese culture. What can Americans learn from Chinese culture and vice versa? Uh, That's
1: uh, that's a great question. Um, Yeah, I I feel that my life has been greatly enhanced by uh, this kind of voluntary embracing of Chinese culture. My wife is from Hong Kong. Uh, My first, you know, our first uh, child was born in Hong Kong. So it's a place that I have a lot of connection to since seeing Enter the Dragon when I was eight years old. it's interesting because what I really admire about the Chinese is um, this kind of going forward kind of work ethic where it's uh, they're very singularly focused and they're, um, and in my experience, they're willing to kind of put aside um, the petty things that people like to show for vanity to do what they need to do for their family or do what they need to do for their career. And one of a constant example that comes up is, I know a number of old Hong Kong movie stars like people who were in those movies back in the 70s you know the Shaw Brothers movies and all those things and these are people I grew up watching their movies and now for whatever reason through connections in the martial arts circle I've met some of them and what's interesting is that some of them when their movie careers you know were no longer they got too old to do kung fu or whatever many of them and even ones I haven't met I've heard the same story again and again they have no problem going, all right, I'm not a movie star anymore. I need to get to work and I need to get a job. And like you'll hear that after their movie career, they went and became a lawyer or they they opened a factory or they did something. And here in New York, where we have a lot of former actors, I should say, people who did one movie back in the 80s and they haven't done anything since. They walk around as if they're still as if they're George Clooney and they haven't done a movie in 30 years and they're still holding out for this other thing without the discipline to actually go and really try to get another movie role. Like in their mind, they're still a movie star. Whereas the Chinese are very practical. I'm not a movie star anymore. I need to provide for my family. This is what I need to do. And they will go and do it. And I find that super admirable because you're putting, you know, um, what needs to be done over your ego being stroked for still being in movies or still, you know, being in the spotlight. And I find that, um, I find that kind of work ethic really fascinating and I think that that is a a really good thing to emulate you know uh, always being very clear about where you are and what you need to do and not have that conflict about what you think you are or what you would like to do but be very clear about where you are and what you need to do and and I find that the Chinese are experts at that um what can the Chinese learn from western culture well I think a lot of the best things from Western culture are already seeping into uh, Chinese culture, especially in Hong Kong, which was a British colony for a very long time. Hong Kong's an interesting place because it's different culturally from mainland China. You have this mix of the European from you know being a British colony for such a long time as well as the traditional Chinese culture and this fusion has created something uh, very unique and and I find that um, you know a, a lot of the very successful, Hong Kong businessmen um actually adopt a lot of ideas, you know the better ideas that come from western culture and and so I find that that mix is already there. What exactly that is I couldn't say I'm sure it's an individual uh, be difficult for me to say what Chinese people would um uh, prefer to take from Western culture, but I can see that it's
0: definitely happened already okay now um uh are the people of China, because I think you kind of said it, you've already kind of said it, but I want to make sure I'm extrapolating it correctly. Are the people of China as a whole more disciplined than Americans, or is that an oversimplified generalization? Is it more disciplined in certain areas or more disciplined as a whole, would you say? Well, uh, it's always difficult to, uh, yeah,
1: to apply a label to, you know, when we're talking about over a billion people, <laughs> uh, it, it gets very, it gets very hard to apply a, a label. And like I said, even Hong Kong Chinese are culturally pretty different from mainland Chinese, and so there are differences within uh, obvious differences between the different groups of Chinese people and also then American born Chinese are also slightly different culturally than, than um, uh, other um, Chinese across the world. So uh, I, I would say that um, the older generation is definitely more disciplined. One of the things that, you know, as a huge lover of Chinese martial arts, you know, one of the things when I go to Hong Kong that I, I, I feel is kind of a little sad is that the new generation, they don't really have any desire to train in Chinese martial arts. Now, part of that is the blame of the very traditional Chinese sifus in Hong Kong who have not updated their methods. They're still, um, like I like to say, they're still partying like it's 1899. Uh, They haven't updated their methods. And 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 caught up with the time. So it's understandable why the youngsters in Hong Kong don't really have any interest in doing that. Because most of the old Sifus are still teaching like dinosaurs in Hong Kong. Um, But on the other hand, it seems like the new generation, they don't really have that same desire to do a lot of these things. Because there's such an intense... uh, competition in Hong Kong for schooling and getting in the right place and stuff like that. So um, that discipline is perhaps applied elsewhere. It's applied towards schooling, but it's done under pressure to get into the right school. Uh, I remember um, you know, my wife who grew up in Hong Kong when our daughter was born, she was talking to some of her friends in Hong Kong who were applying in Hong Kong to get their uh, child into preschool because they have to apply for it. And one of the applications in Hong Kong is the competition is so stiff to get into the right schools. Uh, what instruments does your child play? Mind you, this is for preschool. And uh, they said, well, our, you know, our child is learning piano. And the teacher there said, well, piano is the standard one. We meant what else? Wow. <laughs> you go, wow. <laughs> so, um course, this is a, definitely a type of discipline, but I also think that there's a tremendous amount of pressure. And so uh, because of this uh, educational pressure to get into the right schools from day one, um, I, I don't know how much time they have to apply to these other things. And, you know, the, the old generation c- always complains about the new generations. Um, with the old Sivus in Hong Kong, like, oh, the youngsters don't want to do martial arts. And maybe it's discipline. Maybe it's fault of the old sifus and maybe it's just they're under so much pressure to do other
0: things so it's very difficult to say Mm. well what inspired that question is uh for those who are just listening and you haven't had a chance to check out sifu's uh podcast the kung fu genius um he has this awesome episode where he talks about uh fight quest where this hollywood producer kind of came in and uh he tried to make uh the the sifu of the of the gym uh introduced himself as a grandmaster and he got pulled off as a result and and I was as I was listening to that in preparation of this interview I was like man I think a lot of Americans would have just said uh, anything to get me on the camera you know <laughs> like like they wouldn't have they wouldn't have had the deep respect of no this is not the way we do things the, you know and 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 they probably would have caved but So that's what, just so you know, that's what inspired that question is listening to your podcast. Now, uh, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit. Uh, As a high performer, how well do you sleep?
1: Uh, I'm super religious about sleep, uh, especially in the last, I would say about three years. You mentioned Joe Rogan before. He had a guest on his podcast, and uh, I don't remember his name offhand. I think his last name was Walker, but I could be mistaken. Uh, He's a sleep expert, and he did uh, an episode on, basically, he just talked about sleep and how important it was. And of course, to say sleep is important is like people are just gonna roll their eyes. Yeah, we know sleep is important, but it's kind of one of those things like everyone rolls their eyes and goes, yeah, 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 and then they continue with very poor sleeping habits. so there are a lot of studies that show that if you know if you're getting less than seven, you know that's seven to eight, seven to nine hours of sleep. Seven is kind of the minimum. If you're getting less than that, it's um, pretty much a straight line for um, onset of dementia as you get older. Like they're pretty much it's it's like you have a, a lack of sleep over the you only sleep five hours a night. People are like oh, I only need five hours a night. It's
0: pretty much a straight line to
1: things like dementia and all sorts of age related decline.
0: For our audio-only listeners, we have a paid ad for the next one minute and 33 seconds. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time it is in your time zone. At least on my time, it's, it's after church, and I don't know about you, sometimes after church I'm just lacking energy. Courtney, yes? can you get me... Can you get me a uh, one of the vitamins that your mama takes? Here
1: you go, daddy.
0: Mm. Let me try one of these. Tastes pretty good. My God,
1: my God, Kim! What do you have in there? It's made with vitamins B9 and B12. It's it's great for my overall health. It's made with pectin, a unique fiber in fruit peels. It's simple and delicious. Kim, did you know that more people search apple cider vinegar in the U.S. than tea? Google has 15,000 people searching that word every day in the U.S. alone. Kim, how can more people get this gummy? If you want to support the podcast, or if you're looking to improve your health, you can order these gummies at https forward slash forward slash go.goalie.com forward slash becoming disciplined don't forget to use our promo code becoming disciplined and one of the statistics he had there was that for men um i believe it's like above over the age of uh, maybe it's not even over a certain age but for every hour of sleep you get under that seven hours you lose. You wake up the next day with about ten years less of uh, testosterone level than what your age should be. So if you if you sleep the full seven hours, you should have you know let's say your full testosterone available to you. If you slept six hours, uh, if you're forty, you now have the testosterone that day of a fifty year old. Mm-hmm. If you slept five hours, you have the testosterone of a sixty year old. Wow. So, it's it's 10 years for every hour less than seven that you sleep. So, you can imagine those nights when you only got four hours of sleep for whatever, why you just felt so grimy the next day. Uh, and, um, you know, testosterone is, you know, necessary, not just for libido and things, but for healing yourself, for vitality, for energy, for the ability to do the things you want to do. And I heard that podcast and it just scared the bejesus out of me because I'm like, You know, I'm getting older, I'm in my 40s, and I'm not asking anything less of my body these days. I still train regularly every week, I have to teach students. And if I teach a student in the morning, and that student wants me to be physical with them and move them around and actually, you know, press them a little bit, well, that student expects it just as much as the student my last student later that night does a private lesson with me. So I cannot be like, oh, I've been teaching all day. So I'm going to go easy with you. Each, every student who comes to me uh, deserves to have the same uh, experience and deserves to have me at 100%. And, you know, you look into all these different things you can do. And it turns out the, the biggest performance enhancing drug you can take is to get a good night's sleep. And it sounds super trite and it sounds like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like kind of brush your teeth, kids. And, and, you know, it sounds like these things that, you know, they're very folksy and people don't pay attention to them. But I'm, for me, it's seven hours a night, non-negotiable. And I have like my whole setup. I turn the screen off, you know, an hour before I go to bed, I should actually do it earlier than that. But I'm like, okay, one hour before I go to bed, I'm not looking at a screen. I'm not looking at my phone. Um, I'm going to, you know, just read a book or do something else and seven hours, non negotiable. And I'm like, the temperature of the room's got to be right. So it's cool. So I fall asleep. And, um, I tell you that has made all the difference in the world. People ask me why I have so much energy and they think it, you know, uh, I'm, I'm taking special vitamins or something like that. It's like, I sleep seven hours a night and that's made all the difference in the world.
0: That is so good to know. That's going to be its own separate clip. I will, I will definitely tell you that. Now, what book outside of a religious text has shaped your life in you know the greatest capacity? Um. Yeah,
1: that's interesting. I'm a voracious reader. I read lots of stuff. Um. Obviously, mostly martial art books. Uh, but I've, I, you know, I've read my fair amount of self help and philosophy and, uh, you know, books like about sleeping and things like that. Uh. I think actually um, the the old book Siddhartha by Hermann Hesse is probably one of my favorite books. And it's essentially a fictional tale about the Buddha and, you know, where he kind of grows up in this very religious upbringing and then decides that, you know, how can I truly understand the world if I've never actually lived out in the world? And then decides to go out into the world and then, you know, goes you know succumbs to all the temptations one would in the outside world and you know does all the things that you know his religious upbringing told him not to do only at the end to come to the realization that you know this spiritual awakening he has at the end is because he he had actually had a chance to go out and see the outside world and now his experience makes his spirituality more relevant and i found that that's like a really um uh, that is a really profound tale because like for me it's the same like martial arts instructors who've only learned their style and they're super good at it but they've never um they've never trained with someone from another martial arts school or they never even read books about other martial arts styles there's a limit to how much you can really understand even within your own style or in the even within your own spirituality to use that example if, if you have no idea of what's out in the outside world and no knowing- What's out in the outside world doesn't mean you accept it. Doesn't mean that you uh, that you have to become that or whatever. But I think that if if you live your life with with blinders on, you you'll, you will never really access that the, the, the your, even your own discipline of choice. You need to know what's around there to contextualize it, to understand, to understand what struggles other people's have, other people have, and how you can avoid certain things in your life. And the book Siddhartha, I think, was very instructive. Uh, if for me, in, in, in that kind of idea, and I very rarely read um, fiction. I'm kind of a pure non-fiction. Oh, most of my books on my shelf. I mean, I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books, almost all non-fiction. I have maybe 10 fiction, and uh is one of them. And I you know, I read that book every once in a while and still love it, and I found that really powerful.
0: Okay. We will definitely check it out. Now, uh, if you want me to edit out this question, I can. There's no no problem. <laughs> Sure. Um, next question. Um, as a as a lover of Bruce Lee, and 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 you know, I know I, I listen to your show, and so I know that uh, you make the you make the uh, you make the connection of you know there are some people who are just Bruce Lee fanatics where they can't extend to hear any criticism of Bruce Lee, and then there's other people who tear him down just to tear him down. Uh, you know, uh, I don't understand why. On a level of, uh, you know, 10 being the highest, uh, when Quentin Tarantino Tino was on the uh, Joe Rogan show, on a level of one to 10, how angry were you when, you know, he uh, kind of went in on Bruce Lee and the Bruce Lee family? Um, so this this might surprise
1: you. So I, I love Bruce Lee and uh, I study Bruce Lee fanatically and, uh, you know, I... He means a lot to me, and he's a big part of what I do. Quentin Tarantino cannot live in my head rent-free if he tried on his best day. Because um, he, well, his movie was just kind of a hit piece, and he basically used Bruce to um, prop up his protagonist. And when you understand that that's what he did, when you understand his motivations— there's no way he can make me mad. I mean, it's just like, it's, you know, someone is purposely being manipulative. Um, how can their manipulation affect you, right? I mean, uh, Quentin Tarantino, uh, I, you know, I love most of his films, not all of them. Um, and I uh, actually liked Once Upon a Time in America, with the exception of the Bruce Lee scene, I found it kind of unnecessary. Um, he's, he's definitely doubling down on his narrative. Um, he is, he's kind of twisting some non-events and trying to turn that into something like pretend that it actually happened. And I mentioned this on one of my recent shows. I mean, if Quentin just said, uh, look, it's a fictional take on Bruce Lee and I kind of wanted to knock him down a few pegs for the sake of my character. I'd be like, you're yeah, fine. No problem. But he's trying to pretend like he's trying to double down and be like, no, 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 This is actually based on something real. And as someone who studies Bruce Lee You know, I mean, I probably know more about Bruce Lee than I know about most of the members of my family, Um, just because I've just just all I've been obsessed with for such a long time. Um, His take is not like he's just lying. He's either lying or he's being purposefully disingenuous, or he's being, uh, or he's just misinformed. So if he's lying or he's like kind of being disingenuous you know, to give him, which is basically lying, but just to give him a little bit of slack or he's just misinformed. Um, he, there's no way he can make me angry for any of those three reasons. He'd have to try much harder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I thank you for that. And uh, you are a great example to all of us. Cause I think I was a nine out of 10. Cause I, <laughs> I I've listened to the, I've listened to the poly book like three times and You know, you know, uh, followed uh, Bruce Lee, uh, followed his daughter for many years. And it just uh, it just uh, pushed me through a roof. But but thank you. You're a great example for us. uh, Now, at at Becoming Discipline, we examine discipline or organization in the following areas. Spirituality, mental discipline, physical discipline, emotional intelligence, like what you just shared with us, financial discipline, time management and home and data organization. Now, which of these do you consider your strong point? Which is which of these is your weak point? And if you have a weak point, what is your plan in 2021 to attack it? And and just so you know, for all my guests, I always have to repeat it. All right? So uh, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I should have written it down. <laughs> so 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 listen. If you can listen for your strong point, listen for your weak point, and whatever plan you have, or if you don't have a plan, that's fine. Uh, cause there's some people who don't believe in addressing weaknesses, uh, believe it or not, um, spirituality, mental discipline, physical discipline, emotional intelligence, financial discipline, time management and home and data organization.
1: Mm. So uh, for me, I think mental discipline is kind of the the crux of which kind of holds all of those together, because all of those examples uh, kind of begin with uh, what's going on between uh, between your ears. So, um, you know, for me to say, like, well, mental discipline. I could say is my strongest but you can also say it's your weak weakest because because anything that you falter on it comes back to your mental discipline and you have strengths in certain areas and then within the mental discipline there may be things where you're a little less strong on. So I think as you get older at least in my experience and it's probably different for everyone. Um the things that you're maybe not so good at like uh, for example um I'm not great at like uh, the financial stuff but I'm I figured out a way to make the financial stuff work, given that I'm not great at it. And so, and that has like all you know, all my credit cards, everything like and I'm I was never in any kind of debt or whatever. It's just always something like I just kind of let it be, you know, the school made money and I got an apartment and the school made more money, and maybe I got a different apartment, but maybe I wasn't applying the same level of planning to what are my future goals. In the financial sector, as I would like with my business or with like uh, my physical training or stuff, but that's still for me under the umbrella of kind of, you know, mental discipline. Like there's an area where I'm kind of weak, but what I did was I figured out a way to work around the fact that I was weak there just because I didn't really, I didn't care. It wasn't getting my attention because the things that I'm good at, that's what got my attention, how to run my school. And how to run and how to teach martial arts and how to train martial arts. Luckily, because I'm fanatical about running my school, the financial things fell into place. But not because I was addressing it specifically. But at some point, I did have to kind of buckle down and, and 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 address those things. And I found out a way that works for me. So, like once a week, I look at all my stuff. Like I look at all my credit cards. I look at what the business is doing, what the school is doing, and I see if I need to make any adjustments. And I have a team that can kind of execute those things. But I look once a week and I'm not the one to be there on the ground level, but I have an overview and what needs to be done, I can outsource it. And that's how I manage this one part that I'm not good at. I monitor it, but I outsource it because um, it's going to take a lifetime for me to really want to look at financial statements. I have zero Uh, interest in it, but, but it's necessary in life. Right. And so I, I figured out a way to kind of work around the weakness Mm -hmm. and I apply that same idea because that idea is from martial arts in mar in in your martial art, you cannot be good at everything. All right. Uh, so, you know, you might be good at punching and you might be okay at kicking, but maybe you're not really good at defending certain types of attacks. So you can improve those things that you're weak at, Or you can find a way to strengthen the other things in such a way that you can hide those liabilities. And to a certain degree, that can mean like outsourcing the things that you're not good at rather than trying to say, uh, you know, uh, okay, I really need to learn everything about financial planning or, um, you know, mortgages or all that kind of stuff. Go, um, how can I get someone who can help me with this thing? And, um, and, and, and still take care of it, but maybe I'm not the one to do it because it's not my aptitude. Right. And martial arts teaches one that to go, all right, you have to understand your strengths, you understand your weaknesses, and you can use your strengths to support the things you're weak at, and then figure out how to address those weaknesses so that they don't bring the whole thing down because it's impossible to be good at everything. And that's, one of the things that I learned as I got older as a martial artist, um, that um, as much as I wanted to be great at everything within Wing Chun, there are certain skill sets within Wing Chun that I would say I excel at. And there are other things that I could definitely improve on more. And you're you're constantly finding this balance and life is no different. So um, mental discipline for me, I would say it's the strongest, but in the things I'm not good at, it's the weakest, because for me, it's the it is the end-all, be-all. Physical discipline, you know, I, I want to stay in shape, that starts in the mind, all right? Not not letting yourself take that one day off because you feel a little tired. You go, no, nope, even if I don't train for an hour today, I'm going to do 15 minutes, but I'm going to do something today. I'm not going to not do something. You go in, you say, I'm going to do 15 minutes today because I got no energy. I'm not going to do my normal hour in my gym. And you end up doing an hour because you went there and your body goes, look, we're here anyway. Let's just do it. And then you realize that the only one you're fighting is the one in between your ears. That is the only, and, and you cannot outshout it, but you can correct it. And um, that, for me, mental discipline is everything. Uh, and it's also, it's, it's my strongest and it's also
0: my weakest. <laughs> that is awesome. That is- if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible wisdom. Um Before I ask my two closing questions, I have to ask this one, What movie uh, is the best reflection of realistic Wing Chun? And then also, what movie out there is just painful as a seafood for you to watch?
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, very much like Quentin Tarantino, I can disassociate myself with movies, Um, especially now, you know, we all have all these uh, Yip Man movies, right? well, wow. realistically, I mean, Wing Chun is a very difficult style to choreograph because it's very short, it's very fast, and it repeats a lot. Because practical fighting, you often have a lot of repetitive movements for the sake of overwhelming or swarming your opponent. And repetitive movements don't necessarily look good in on in movies because you want to see variety, level changes, big movements, short movements. And that's what looks good on camera. And Practical fighting is short, it's kind of ugly. So... Even when they choreograph Wing Chun to a high level, they still need to make some concessions to make it more um, visually exciting. Um, I really like uh, the old movie Prodigal Son, which was from 1981. It's an old Sammo Hong film. It's about Wing Chun. They take a lot of creative license with Wing Chun. They make it a little kind of fancier at the end. And there's definitely the end fight scene. Some people complain it's not the cleanest looking Wing Chun, but it's super raw. And there's just some, it's just like this kind of emotional intensity when Yun-Biu fights in the final fight scene because his Sifu had been killed. And he has has to fight the guy who he thinks killed his Sifu. And he just fights with this raw intensity. And for me, the intensity is is more Wing Chun than whether uh, in the Yip Man movies, they had a better variation of tan so in there or something like that. It's like, for me, Wing Chun is not about the physical shapes of the movements. Wing Chun is about the heart. And Wing Chun, we say, which means fist comes from the heart. But that's not, for the beginner, we say that because you punch from the middle of your chest, from the center. So we say your fist comes from the center, from the heart. But that's only a lesson for the beginner. For the advanced practitioner, it means that when you fight, you have to fight with your heart. Because uh, if your heart is not behind it, you will never win. But it also means that if your heart is not behind it, maybe you shouldn't fight. So it becomes the litmus test, right? And then you start approaching everything like that. And so the the feeling comes from here, right? So for me, when I see really good-looking Wing Chun on on the screen, it has to have the heart. Um, The cringiest Wing Chun movie for me. Some people might say it's uh, Michelle Yeoh's Wing Chun because she uses almost no Wing Chun in there. I can excuse it; it's from the mid '90s. All those are all wire films. Yip Man Four. Uh, I unfortunately have six. I know people who are in that film. Um, I watched it in the theater like this, like with my hand above, and you know, because obviously, on Yip Man's story, it takes creative license, but it, I don't know. I just felt it was just kind of over the top in a way that. Um, it was time for the franchise to die.
0: Amen, amen, amen. Now, uh, um, seafood. This is an opportunity. We have a, you know, we have a few listeners in the in the Tri State area. How can they get a hold of you? And how can they come and and, and check out your dojo?
1: Oh, uh, so what's,
0: uh, the, what's the right name? I didn't mean to call it the dojo. What's the right? <laughs> <name>? <laughs> That's okay. A lot, a lot of people, a lot of people say that. Obviously,
1: dojo is the. Um, the Japanese word for a martial arts school. Chinese martial arts schools, is actually kind of hard to pronounce it correctly. A um, uh, Chinese kung fu school in Cantonese is called Mo gun. So it's almost like D O O N gun. Most people spell this kwan, but it's actually not kwan, it's mou gun, means martial house or martial dwelling. But normally we just say the kung fu school, <laughs> the, the Wing Chun school, right? Um, so um, my school's in midtown Manhattan, Well, I'm right, Two blocks away from Times Square. I'm literally in the middle of everything. 10, 24, 6th Avenue, uh, between 39th and 38th Street. Super easy to get to my school. The website is citywt.com. That's C-I-T-Y-W-T.com. It's for City Wing Chun. And uh, we have not just classes in our Midtown location, but we have we a have branch in New Jersey. We have a branch in Brooklyn. Uh, Ohio, we have a branch as well. Uh, we have a, a branch in Connecticut, North Carolina. So we have a few remote branches out there um but people can also do online training now since the whole kind of covid era we have like online training i have tutorials i have all sorts of stuff like that and i do it, and i just had an intensive training camp last week that's why i couldn't do this uh, podcast with you last week cuz uh, every year i have this big summer camp people come from all over to train with me and it's like 6 hours a day 7 days a week and i just finished teaching that so it was like my first week off And, um, and I love doing things like that. So, um, yeah, people can go to cdwt.com and, uh, and I even do now online training through zoom, obviously martial arts is a physical thing. It's easier if you kind of can do it, you know, on site on like hand on hand, but, um, I can still teach people basics, especially if they've already learned some Wing Chun and they want to just maybe improve it or get some pointers. Those kind of things can be done through Zoom, especially if they have a training partner. I can show them how to train with their partner there. So um, yeah, lots of opportunities in the um, in the post-COVID age to do things online.
0: Wow. Well, I'm gonna edit this out definitely. I have an injury where I can't uh, I can't get hit, but that online training sounds uh, sounds very. Uh, Very intriguing. I'm going to check that out. Absolutely. Awesome. Now now as well, Sifu, you have an incredible podcast and I'll just say you have the dopest sidekick, since Kato. All right. Just so you know. <laughs> Your guy on the Kung Fu Genius is awesome. He, his ad libs are always perfect. Where they, He never speaks over you, but he's always like adding like at the perfect time. You have an awesome sidekick. Can you tell us about the Kung Fu Genius? How long you've been doing it and, and the purpose of that
1: podcast? Sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, my um, my partner there, his name is Dre. He's one of my old students. And Dre is one of these guys, he cracks me up all the time. We'll watch a movie. And he's kind of, you ever see like those mystery science theaters where they're kind of like watching something and laugh, kind of making fun of it? He's like a live DVD commentary track, but he's hysterical. So I'm like, I, I want to do a podcast with him because he's... What he brings to it is very different from me. If you had two people like me on a podcast, it would be super dry. He's kind of the voice for the everyman in the audience, right? And I think that's why a lot of people relate to him. Um, So the Kung Fu Genius podcast, I started around March. Uh, I used to have an old podcast called Dudes of Kung Fu, uh, where it was me and uh, a guy named Big Sean Madigan. He's a Jeet Kune Do practitioner. Uh, so he's like the Jeet Kune Do guy, and I was the Wing Chun guy, and so we're like, yeah, we had a podcast. We had it for four years, it was huge. In um, December of last year, Big Sean passed suddenly, and um, it was it was devastating because, like, for me, he was my podcast partner, and and all suddenly it was like, oh, what's going to happen with Dudes of Kung Fu? And I didn't really feel it right to continue the podcast without him because that po- Dudes of Kung Fu was. Big Sean and me. There, uh, I cannot put someone else in there and it'd be the same thing. So I decided instead what I'm going to do is I'll live stream a Dudes of Kung Fu live on Facebook about every six to eight weeks for the fans there. And I'll bring other guests on. But, it, you know, it's kind of more of a legacy thing because the podcast for me is not the same without him. But I felt I still had things to say. And I had talked to Sean before he passed. I'm like, oh, I think I also want to eventually have my own podcast that's separate from Dudes. Um, because, uh, we talked mostly about Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do and I want to talk about Wing Chun and Kung, but I also want to talk about movies and about geeky Bruce Lee stuff and challenge fights and going to like all this like kind of weird history of Hong Kong and stuff. And, um, when he passed, that was kind of the, um, that was kind of like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to have to do it. And it took me about three months to figure out what the format was going to be. And then I started it and, um, I love it. I'm having a really great time. Um, you know, it. I, I don't do it for the money I teach martial arts for a living that's how I earn it uh, my living so uh, I don't have this thing where I'm beholden to sponsors or I, you know sometimes I'll do an episode and people not a lot of people watch it I did an episode on ninja movies from the 80s and that was like like not that many people watch it but you know what that was my most fun episode to do because I I can talk about all this stuff so I did it because I love it. Right. And and now recently in the last few weeks, my podcast has kind of taken off. I had a couple um, videos on there that really kind of went through the roof. And now more and more people are finding out about it, which I'm really grateful. But um, if there were six people out there listening to the Kung Fu Genius, I'd still do it because uh, it's just a cheap excuse to get me talking about the thing that I love, and I don't have to bore my wife with the same stories I've told her a million times. I can tell it to a different audience for a change.
0: <laughs> now, I, I would love it if you could get Mister Polly or Mister Little back on uh, to talk about your the, the recent developments that occurred. You know, the letters that you just wrote. I would love, I would love to hear them. You know, y'all, y'all three or y'all two talking over that would be incredible. Yeah, that
1: would be, that would be great. I've had private conversations with both those gentlemen and, um, yeah, it's a little weird because like those revelations that have come out about Bruce Lee, which I talked about on a recent video. Um, they change a lot of what we know about, especially about the last two years of his life. And, uh, I think it's floored a lot of people, even people who were, you know, experts and biographers. Um, yeah, maybe in the future, um, you know, I, either I'll have them back on or maybe I'll work on some other projects with them about these revelations. Um, Matt, uh, you know, he did this big book for, I think, Simon & Schuster. So for him, you know, he tweeted like, oh man, this is like a nightmare for any biographer. You write this big deep dive biography and then like four years later, all these revelations come out, which would have totally changed how you would have written the book. For him, it's more difficult because he's got a major publisher. So, you know, I, I'm a book author. I write books about wingshunting. And if I want to change something in my book, I just change it, come out with a new edition and I can update it. When you write for a big publisher, you can't just say, hey, I'm just going to rewrite the last part and come out with it because the publisher has to approve that. And, and, you know, they don't really do things like that. So I think Matt, I mean, I don't want to speak for him. He can speak better for himself, but he probably doesn't have much opportunity to come out with a part two or a revised version unless Simon and Schuster is going to give him that opportunity. And I don't know if they're gonna do that. Um, John Little hasn't worked for the Lee estate for a very long time. So he's much more of a free agent. Maybe he'll wanna do something. Maybe he'll wanna talk on my podcast about it. Um, who knows? There's a lot of interesting things that are coming out and um,
0: uh, we'll see. That's awesome. Well, that is, well, we thank you for being able to correct the record. Now, now uh, we talked about your school. We talked about the Kung Fu Genius. Where can we, where can we catch your writing? So, um, yeah, if anyone is
1: interested in, you know, super geeky books on Wing Chun in detail, those are also available at my website, citywt.com. We have an online shop there and I've written books about the different aspects of, you know, the different forms and things like that. I have, I have a new book on the wooden dummy coming out soon. Everyone's excited about that because you know, the wooden dummy is like the most, everyone gets excited when they see a wooden dummy, right? They might not know anything about Wing Chun. I, I, I tell this sometimes really funny. On, on our City Wing on, I don't know, our Facebook page, or maybe on my public page or whatever, you know, we'll post a photo, you know, maybe a few hundred likes or whatever. One time we just posted a photo of the wooden dummy. There wasn't even someone on the wooden dummy. It was just the wooden dummy with like kind of like the sunlight coming in. And the thing got like thousands and thousands of likes, right? So I think there's something about the wooden dummy that just like people get super excited about. So my next book is actually going to be about that. Probably available in the fall. And I'll write a few more books about the Wing Chun system. And then at some point, I'm going to write not a memoir. I think it's kind of, I think it's a bit vain to say I'm going to write my memoirs. Like, who the hell wants to listen to me talk, right? Um, But I have a lot of stories. I kind of say I'm, I'm a bit like Forrest Gump. When a lot of crazy stuff happens, I happen to be in the room. And that's been my lot in life. Some weird, crazy event happens. And for some reason, I'm there or I'm next to the person or I know the person it happened to. And I, I was lucky to get a lot of first-hand information stories, things that happen in Hong Kong, things that happen uh, with Wing Chun in Europe. So I have lots of stories, and I think that um, I could put that in a really kind of funny book, and I think people might like that. So that, that, that's something else I'm going to do, and so uh, maybe a Bruce Lee project as well. So we'll
0: see. We'll see. Okay. Now, you, uh, you, I believe that's Cantonese that you speak? Is that, is that Cantonese, or...?
1: Well, um, Cantonese is what they speak in Hong Kong. I I wouldn't go so far to say like I speak speak Cantonese. Um, I would say my Cantonese is passable, and in uh, my vocabulary for martial arts is very high. So, like if I'm at a a school in Hong Kong, I can have some basic discussions about movements and stuff like that. But if uh, I had to go to a bank in Hong Kong and discuss uh, interest fees, I probably have no vocabulary in that area there. So, um, but, you know, I, I can get around Hong Kong. I can uh, I can order food. I can ask for directions. I can go places. I can uh, I can scare people who are trying to scam me in Hong Kong when they say things in Chinese like, oh, you know, give this foreigner to charge him this much, even though it costs this much. I can I can I can scare them and be like, hey, <laughs> give me that other price. And, it's usually kind of funny because most Westerners who learn Chinese usually learn to speak Mandarin that's why they speak in mainland China and it's very rare to find uh, Westerners who learn to speak Cantonese and my Cantonese is basic but it's um it's getting better um i i I practice my Cantonese every day so the last time I was in Hong Kong was two thousand nineteen before covid and I was getting around I was saying a lot of things every time I go I can understand a lot but speaking I was always um fearful of speaking because it's a tonal language. If you make a mistake with the tones, you could accidentally um, insult someone's entire bloodline when you're just asking them for a refreshment. So I was always super worried about making mistakes. Although my comprehension was very high, I was, I didn't want to make a mistake. And a couple of years ago, I was like, you know what? I need to stop having fear. I tell my students, hey, just do it. Try it. Don't be afraid. And I, I apply that to my martial arts. Why don't I apply that to my Cantonese study? So a couple of years ago, when I started going to Hong Kong, I was like, you know what? Even if I make mistakes, I'm just going to speak Cantonese. I don't care. And um, I started doing that. And my uh, ability to speak went up uh, um, tremendously. And since I was there last, I, 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 like I said, I practice Cantonese every day. I do characters. I do reading. I do pronunciation. I listen to dialogues. And um, I'm yeah, excited to see. Uh, the looks on, uh, yeah, some of the faces of people when I go there next time it should be much better.
0: Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, Sifu Alex, we can't thank you enough for coming on. You didn't have to do this. You didn't need to do this. We truly appreciate you. You now have the last word. Do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? And just so you know, our audience is typically 30 to 55-year-olds. I, I lovingly call them the Get Better Club. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a percentage of them that are into the martial arts. There's a percentage of them that's in the military, but they're, they typically are people who are just trying to become better versions of themselves. So what what closing thoughts do you have uh, for them? And also, we just want to thank you for coming on as well. Yeah, I really appreciate
1: it. Um, you know, thank you so much for having me on. It's also great to do something uh, different than a typical martial arts podcast um, because, uh, you know, it shows that You know, there are people out there who see what I have of interest that are not just kind of Bruce Lee nerds or something like that. So I definitely uh, appreciate you having me on. Um, For me, um, I think that, uh, you know, I, I don't like to sound too preachy. I think everyone has to kind of find their own way to be disciplined and to deal with their own personal demons in a way that's beneficial. The way I do it might not work for someone else. I like to write things down. Other people maybe just put it on their phone. But I think for me, the, the, one of the best pieces of advice, at least that helped me out, is to, to remember that most people have a conflict in their minds about anything they look at, whether it's something they see on TV or it's about themselves. And it is the conflict between what people want things to be and what they are. you know. And most of the time, we are looking at things through the lens of what we want them to be rather than what they are. And this is something I think a lot about. If you can break that barrier down, you will suffer a lot less in your daily life. Because most of our conflicts, the way we react very... Uh, Reactively to things, or the way we tighten up, if someone says something like Quentin Tarantino says something about Bruce Lee, right? Most people tighten up, or whatever. That's usually because of this conflict between the way we want things to be or the way we perceive them to be and the way they are. And if you see, for example, Quentin Tarantino for what he is, it cannot make you angry because you're not trying to imply a worldview on it. Quentin Tarantino is not you, and what he says is not you. You can look at it for what it is and take away the personal impact because that personal impact has nothing to do with that thing that's outside of you that's what you choose and if you can separate what you want them to what you want things to be from what they are and start to look at things as what they are for me i think that that is a, a, a huge game changer and you can apply this to
0: any aspect of your life powerful, powerful words, powerful words. If you enjoyed Sifu Alex as much as we did, you can check him out on his podcast, The Kung Fu Genius. If you live in the tri-state area, you can sign up for his training on citywt.com. And if you are interested in his many writings, click on sifualexrichter.com. Thank you, and please subscribe now.